0: Hi friends, I'm Olivia, and I'm Katie, and we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. (laughs) Okay, welcome back to podcast by proxy happy tuesday happy tuesday now it is thursday today we made a thursday hot damn however it is my friday no yeah it's my friday so cheers y'all
1: i work weekends so this is my wednesday
0: (laughs) it's not katie's friday but i took tomorrow off because we're going camping so that was my little cheers and i brought alcohol back to the podcast it's my hump day anyway hey how's it going hey good good real good good, good. yeah good i'm glad you um, obviously good it's your friday yeah i'm doing pretty good i'm going camping tomorrow we're taking peanut butter for anyone who doesn't know peanut butter is my three and a half pound chihuahua you can follow watch out for big birds. you can follow her at pb the tiny chi on instagram as well as our podcast at Podcast by Proxy. But anyway, we're taking her camping for the first time. So I'm interested to see. Oh,
1: you're not going to leave her with Grandma Sandy?
0: No, we're camping close specifically to test out how she does. Oh,
1: OK. So if it doesn't go well, well cause you can drive her to Sandy's. Go back to camping.
0: Yeah, because we have the trailer now camping with her. I think she'll
1: do great.
0: Camping in a tent with a three and a half pound dog just isn't really an option. It's not really safe. Yeah, it's just a no from me, but now that we have the trailer, we're going to try it out. Yeah, housekeeping-wise, do you have... Hold any? on. Oh.
1: The fan is making noise, so i got to turn it off. And I hope you realize oh. how much I love all you guys, because my house is a sauna, so without this fan, I'm just going to be sweltering she's, for like
0: an hour. She's willing to turn off her fan for you. That is dedicated For you guys.
1: And if anyone knows me, I hate... The heat. I turn into the most miserable person when I'm too hot.
0: That's true. And then there's my worst self. And I'm consistently seen in like black leggings and a full hoodie at like 30 degree weather. Not a thing.
1: She's more about the aesthetic.
0: Or just heat's not an issue. Comfort. I like being clothed. I don't know. It's weird. Same.
1: But I could wear well like what I'm wearing right now. Some like cute bicycle shorts and like a baggy shirt and be just as comfortable and cool. That's fair. I don't need a hoodie in thirty degrees.
0: Do we have housekeeping? Do you have any housekeeping today? Housekeeping Um No. Okay. Well I do. Um, if you want to <laughs>
1: You could have just said it. You didn't have to like awkwardly make I, me.
0: No, I wanted to ask your you, intro. I was being polite and don't asking, use me as your gateway drug. No, I was trying to be polite and see if you had anything first before I started talking. Because once it starts, it's like verbal diarrhea. It doesn't stop.
1: Yeah, you're like, what is it with like Pringles? Once you pop, the fun don't stop. That's how she talks. It just keeps <laughs> blah, blah, going. blah
0: blah 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 blah. blah the Energizer blah. battery. Um. No, I'm trying to get better at mentioning this kind of stuff at the beginning of episodes. But if you want to support our podcast, we don't currently have Patreon, but we do have Buy Me A Coffee. You can visit buymeacoffee.com slash podcast by proxy and you can support us one time or you can set up for a recurring donation as a forensic fisherman because why not? (laughs) <laughs> um the other ways you can support us is leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you listen to podcasts that allows you to leave a review and follow us on any platform you listen and I think that's everything I wanted to mention before we start. We make these by ourselves in our bedroom. We pay for everything that goes into making a podcast. Um, and also time. I mean, I feel like my time is worth something, but I also enjoy doing this. So, you know, here I am. Happy balance. But anyway, yeah, th- those are the best ways to support us if you want to do so. I mean, listening is obviously the number one way. So you're already supporting us. But if you're feeling like you wanted to word a little more,
1: tell your friends if you do enjoy us, tell your friends, share our episodes on social media. Anything really helps to get our word out there. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I have seen a couple of you tag us, too, when people are asking for, like, podcast recommendations, and I love to see it. It makes me so happy, so thank you. Um, I feel like I'm getting uncomfortable, because I know what we're getting into, and it makes me uncomfortable, Um, but today... Yeah, it's your week. I know, so... What you got for me? Today, we're talking... We're going back to Vancouver. I know I took us to Vancouver, and then you took us elsewhere. No, we stayed in Canada last week we did yeah i don't even know what day it is all over canada we were we were all over the damn thing okay well we're back in vancouver um we're not in the downtown east side though we're in stanley park which is very different from the downtown east side beautiful yeah so today we're talking about the murder of aaron webster and i actually katie knows this because she because we were talking about me writing something completely (laughs) different last week. Uh, And you will eventually get that story, but it actually wasn't this one. And for other reasons, I had to switch gears, but you're getting the story of Aaron Webster today, which I'm very, very excited to tell and one that I knew nothing about. So this was really fun for me to research. I guess fun isn't like the, the right word. It was really interesting for me to research. There was a lot of lot of different court transcripts and court documents to go through cases a lot so I guess we can just get into it Aaron Webster he was a 41 year old man living in Vancouver BC at the time of his death Aaron was gay and part of the LGBTQ community in Vancouver it is still pride month this is our last pride case this month but don't worry it won't be our last pride case ever definitely not so Aaron's murder at the time was considered to be one of the worst LGBTQ gay bashings that Canada had ever seen. Oh. His murder shocked a city that, even then, Vancouver was considered to be, like, quote-unquote, safe for people in the LGBTQ I'm LGBT. sorry, what year is this? 2001. Sorry. I had. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. I hadn't quite got there, but yeah, this is in 2001, oh. so... Even in 2001, like, Vancouver has a super strong LGBTQ community and presence. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So that's literally my, my next line. Vancouver has one of the largest 2 LGBTQ plus communities in Western Canada. The community's most significant presence is centered along Davie Street in the West End. Vancouver uh, also has one of the biggest pride celebrations in the country and is known for its support of the gay community. So DavieVillage.ca calls the Davie Street Village, quote, a diverse, welcoming and LGBTQ slash gay friendly neighborhood in the heart of downtown Vancouver. So did you just
1: get congested again? Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: I don't know why. It's like you closed your window and all of a sudden you're like, I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. I'll have a sip of alcohol that should fix it. Just kidding. It'll make it worse. If you notice, I wrote the story in a little bit of a different order than I traditionally write. I just, it was the way that it came naturally when I was writing it. I don't know. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Aaron Aaron Zane Donald Webster was born on June 1st, 1959. Is there any birthdays I need to know about?
1: Hmm. No. Okay. (laughs) I don't think
0: so. Okay. So by all accounts, Aaron was a really nice guy. He was a talented photographer. And prior to his death, Aaron was working with his friend, Tim Chisholm, on a calendar of his photographs to assist several businesses in the gay community with public relations and so at the time of Aaron's death he was living in cooperative housing and was actually the president of city view housing co-op so are you like me and you've heard the term co-op housing but you don't actually know what it means no i think i know what it means Okay, I didn't really, like, I had an idea in my head of what co-op housing was, but I never, I've never known anyone that's lived in co-op housing or, like, researched it. It's like where a bunch of people
1: put in and invest together or rent together, isn't it? But it's not necessarily low income, it's just... Yes. It it can be all tiers of income, it just depends on people pooling their money to live in a nicer place, essentially.
0: Exactly, so... Okay, yeah, yeah. It's basically, like... It provides a third option to renting or buying. And
1: I know someone who does this and coordinates this for a living, actually. That's why I knew what it was. Okay, well, and she does I'm it. I'm
0: going to explain the way I have it written down, anyways. You know, okay. Katie pretty much just <laughs> explained it. Sorry. No, it's fine, but I just didn't know any of this. So, it yeah. It's like residential housing, it's a corporation and like the people who live there own like shares in the corporation but not their actual units. And then mm-hmm. it said in the in the thing I was reading that your payment is based on the size of the unit that you live in, but some co-ops also take income into consideration. Hmm. Um, in determining, okay. like, what each individual pays. And then co-ops are often also less expensive than, like, a condo because they operate on an at-cost basis. So they're, the corporations are nonprofit, And the individuals that live there pitch in for, like, maintenance and stuff. So they collect money from tenants for anything, like, outstanding bills any upgrades and stuff but it's all at cost and then everyone is pitching in there's no landlord that's like profiting off the living space kind of thing like in a an apartment building let's say yeah and then yeah i don't know that that was pretty much it i didn't know really anything about them then there's a co-op board there's always like a board and you can technically sell your shares on the open market if you want to but it has to like pass the board first
1: yeah so you'll probably never sell them someone within the board would probably just buy your shares
0: yeah but then the other thing was like because decisions are often made together by the residents and like smaller co-ops are strictly run by residents everyone's pitching in to take care of duties landscaping and everything you'd have to be somebody that's like quite social and able to get along with others in order to flourish in this kind of an environment i would say like you'd have to be somebody that is able to be cooperative with other people Definitely. Uh, Not for me. Aaron was that person. He was actually the president of City View Housing Co-op, which is the co-op he was living in. I might have already said that, but... He did, but it's good to remind him. Okay, well, you know. Thanks. So Aaron's friend Tim, who we talked about earlier, he was making the calendar with, described him as... Quote, a fun-loving guy, very talented, very personable, like to have a good time, but also very empathetic towards people. Oh, hmm. okay. Sounds like a nice guy. So he sounds like a really nice guy. Apparently, all good things come to an end. True. Especially when shithead, shitheads are involved. Just shitheads. We'll just leave it at that. So, on November 17th, 2001... A young couple were out for the evening and decided to take a drive through Stanley Park in the early hours of the morning. I could not find anywhere what actual time this was, but based on everything that I could gather on a timeline, I'm thinking like 3 a.m. early in the morning.
1: Yeah, I was thinking like between 1 and 3 just because like... You think it's like a younger couple, especially if they're just like I used to do that. Just go for really late drives like, oh, I'm hungry. Let's go drive through somewhere and get ice cream at one in the morning. That was not crazy. Yeah. So. Okay.
0: They come into Stanley. Young love. Yeah. So they come into Stanley Park from Beach Drive. And upon reaching the intersection of Stanley Park Drive, you can either go right towards what's what's called Lost Lagoon or you can
1: keep. Is that where the mermaid is?
0: I have no idea. Everybody's going to clock me for this because I live here.
1: (gasps) You've never been to Stanley Park. I've never been to Stanley Park. You are a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it for everyone. What? Okay, when COVID's over, we're going to do like a mini meetup in Stanley Park, like a distance picnic.
0: I might ruin Stanley Park for you in this episode because I want um, the direction of dark history on Stanley Park and not how great and beautiful it is.
1: <laughs> you know what? I've heard a few real shit banger stories out of Stanley Park and it hasn't ruined it yet, so try me.
0: Oh, I will. Don't you worry. We'll get there. We haven't reached that okay. part of the story yet. I
1: regret saying that instantly. <laughs> <laughs> instantly.
0: Okay. So you go right towards the mermaid or you keep going a short distance, which continues into what's called the second beach parking lot that you can loop back around to Stanley park drive. Yes. Okay. I'm with you. Cool. Katie has a visual. I have nothing except for what I've seen in Google maps. So the couple, they decide to go, I guess, left to continue into the second beach parking lot. And that's when they approach the entrance They see a man with no shirt on facing another man at the end of the angled parking stalls. Their headlights turn to face the scene and shine light on it, and they see one man bring a bat-like object down on the head of the shirtless man who then fell. Oh my gosh. Okay. The couple notes, the assailant was wearing a black baseball cap backwards. The woman said she saw two other men standing on the same side of the car away from the attackers, but couldn't determine if they had anything in their hands. And then the man said that he didn't know if it was two or three bystanders, but they were standing about five feet away from the attack. And he also couldn't see anything in their hands. Um, they saw a car in the parking lot and a blue Jeep TJ. And the couple drove into the parking lot and called 911. Okay, if this
1: was me or you, I feel like we would just, like, start laying on our horn and, like, driving towards them. Yeah. To try to, like, get them off that guy. And I would be, like, yelling at my passenger, like, call 911. Like, I'd be, like, in their, like, swimwear. Let's go.
0: Absolutely. You'd be getting sprayed the fuck in the face with the hairspray I have in my car.
1: Those people, though, did the right thing. Police do say, Don't do what we just safely do. get aside and call 911. <laughs>
0: just drive into the
1: parking lot and
0: call 911.
1: Yeah, if someone's getting the pulp beat out of them, you better believe I'm going to try to, in the process, do something to get them away from that innocent person.
0: Yeah, I can't say that I would have done nothing, but I mean, that's just me. You're right. The right thing to do is to just get your own self to safety and call 911. Um, I'm in a car. I feel pretty safe. I think I'd rage i have an suv i turn into a pretty big bumper human when i'm mad and that's why i don't really get mad and that's also why i always have the same tone of voice also
1: when you get drunk (laughs) it's funny though
0: (laughs) (laughs) so the couple they drove into the parking lot they call nine we've discussed this is the right choice to make at the same at the exact same time like literally as this is happening Tim Chisholm, who we talked about earlier, was Aaron's best friend, who he was, like, making that calendar with, was also Mm -hmm. in Stanley Park. Aaron and Tim had actually been at the bar together that night. They had parted ways... Oh. They parted ways earlier in the night. Tim stayed at the bar, but Tim says he left the bar to go look for a a meteor shower, and his truck had been parked in one of the... Fair enough.
1: You end up in Stanley Park.
0: Sure, yeah. So he's, like, going to look for a meteor shower. His truck was parked in one of the angled stalls in Stanley Park near that Second Beach parking lot. And Tim says oh. he remembers hearing some laughter and a loud thud coming from the other side of the parking lot. So, so like,
1: the guys that were attacking him, probably?
0: Yeah. So, he okay. thought it was just some kids getting drunk and hitting cars. So, he stayed where he Fair. was to, like, wait it out. And then... Finally, he pulls out of his parking spot, and he goes to drive past the stalls, like, where he heard all the noise coming from, basically. Oh, God. And his headlight spotted naked man lying on the road beside a car. Tim jumped out of his vehicle, approached the man, and called 911. And he says that he didn't even realize the man was his best friend, Aaron Webster, until he lifted his arm up off his face.
1: I was, I can honestly like picture what you'd be walking up to because if you think you'd kind of be like on your side like this mm-hmm. and you think you just stayed in that position. And I know no one else can see me, but I'm sure you knew what I was mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, you can just like picture. I can like imagine being in this car and seeing the headlights and yeah, I can just picture it all. I think it's all just bonkers. Yeah. Oh,
0: so this guy this rushes up to this man, dying person. in the road yeah. person thinking it's a complete stranger, realizes it's his best friend. So Tim calls... He had already called 911, sorry. Um, he attempts CPR on Aaron while waiting for first responders. He attempts to resuscitate Aaron unsuccessfully, and he died on scene in the arms of Tim. So by the time... Oh, no. Uh, the ambulance
1: thank god he had a loved one with him at the end though or someone that cared about him right i don't know just something about that makes me feel
0: isn't that so crazy yeah and so yeah first responders when they got there they didn't even attempt life-saving um measures on aaron because they said he was already dead okay so This is when we're going to talk about Stanley Park a little bit, just before we get into kind of what happens after this, and I also want to paint a picture of, like, why Aaron was in this area of Stanley Park at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, because it's important for the case. So, here's where I get to ruin Stanley Park for Katie. So, Stanley Park is considered to be Vancouver's crown jewel, however... I guess yes. the park is located on the traditional territory of coast salish first nations including the musqueam squamish and Slelu i think that's how you pronounce it i'm really sorry if i didn't pronounce that correctly i tried to like figure it out so many of the phonetics i did i tried um yeah but Stanley Park was actually established in 1888 after B.C. was colonized. Archaeologists have found artifacts in the park proving indigenous habitation on that land for more than 3,200 years. The peninsula where Stanley Park currently sits was once um, the largest... Sorry. The peninsula where Stanley Park currently sits was the site of one of the largest indigenous settlements in the lower mainland, no, known as Wei, Wei which was home to hundreds of people near the present-day location of Lumberman's Arch.
1: I don't like where you're going with
0: this. Sorry. For many generations, um, So it's pronounced W-H-O-I-W-H-O-I. Again, I've tried to find the pronunciation so that I can say it right. And the best I can come up with is the way way. And if that's not right, I'm sorry. You're free to yell at me. This indigenous group of people drew from the forest and marine resources of the surrounding environment to create homes and sustain families in 1887 when the city of Vancouver, uh, sought permission from the Government of Canada to turn the area into a park. City employees destroyed the remaining structures of the First Peoples and evicted evicted the residents to build the First Park Road. A small number of Indigenous and settler residents continued to live in Stanley Park into the 20th century. The Park Board eventually won a series of legal cases against these park residents in the 1920s and began evicting people again in the 30s. The board permitted Tim and Agnes Cummings, two park residents, to remain in their home in Stanley Park until their death in the 60s.
1: Although I do not agree with what we've done. Does not change that I've had wonderful memories at that park.
0: Although, But it taints it a little.
1: It taints it,
0: yeah. It taints it a little. I just, you know, when um, you research Stanley Park... Or, you know, you want to talk about where Stanley Park is. It's all about how beautiful it is. How it's this incredible landmark. And especially with it being Indigenous Peoples History Month. And with the findings of, um, you know, residential school, children's graves, and all this that's being talked about right now. I just kind of felt it was important to highlight the true history of that land. And that is that the government stole it from the people who lived there.
1: Well, I think it kind of comes back to what I was saying last week, too, about how it frustrates me so much when people go, oh, that doesn't happen here. We live in Canada. I'm so thankful we live in Canada. We have all this dark shit, too. And someone needs to talk about it's it. Like, imagine, And that's, I think, what we're doing.
0: So yeah, it's like, imagine your family, you're just living your life, and then the government came up to you and was like we're tearing down beat all it all of this beat it we're gonna make a park oh and also we're gonna turn your culture into a tourist attraction because they did all that and then in like the 20s they started putting up totem poles of art from like a
1: wait didn't that happen in the 60s though
0: no no like They let that one couple live in their house until the 50s. This was happening in like the 18, like 1888 to the 30s. Oh, okay. Evictions began in the 1930s. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, then they start, they put totem poles out as, quote, tourist attractions.
1: I'm literally from the city of totems, so I can't say anything.
0: But like, you can bet your ass they didn't give any of that tourist attraction money back to the first people's. Oh, hell no. Anyway, I know. It probably just went back
1: into the park. I know.
0: Anyway, this is not a a history episode. This has been your podcast by proxy history lesson of the day. <laughs> there's, your, there's your history lesson for me for the day. I'm done now. Um, but
1: no, fun fact. I grew up in the city of Totems. And I also grew up in the city of Murals. Two small cities on the island.
0: That those are their claims to fame. Yeah. So, Second Beach... Um, What's the significance of this occurring at Second Beach? Well, Second Beach is close to what's called Rawlings Trail. Um, Rawlings Trail is a known trail that is often used by members of the LGBTQ community looking for basically no strings attached uh, and anonymous. So cruising kind of like. Sexual encounters. It's It's gay cruising. That's what they call okay, it. Okay, yeah. Gay cruising so trails. in my
1: case, that was, those were areas that got heavily patrolled during all that time. So yeah, they called them cruising spots and they were just like Tinder back then. I was going to say
0: it's literally like <laughs> Tinder in real life.
1: I think someone, um we can copyright this and trademark it right now, but we should just make a dating app that's called Cruising. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because that's what it is we should Because it is cruising. That is what it is. Mm-hmm. okay copyright we're doing that so the trail hashtag that mine that is between second beach and the stone bridge at lost lagoon is considered to be the best place to meet up with someone uh gay men have been cruising these trails for over 100 years it's also incredibly common for closeted men to seek out sexual partners in the park anonymously Um uh, we know Aaron. the way
1: you said that like for over a hundred years, it made it sound like gay men were like dinosaurs and you were telling like this natural history thing about <laughs> no. them. You were like, for over a hundred years. No, I
0: just mean this has <laughs> been occurring for like a long time.
1: I know. I just loved it.
0: So we know Aaron wasn't in the closet, but he was in the park this night for the same reasons. This is why he was there. He was cruising.
1: Yeah. No, I'm just laughing at you. Some of the way you're saying things, it's just funny. He wasn't in the closet, but he was in the park. <laughs> they just, they're not funny sa- sayings. They just they're sound not. funny the way you ri- wrote I'm them. I'm
0: not funny.
1: No, you're not.
0: I am, however, congested.
1: <laughs> you are really congested. She's not funny, but she is congested. I
0: don't know. What to do. I'm sorry. I don't know take
1: a Benadryl. <laughs> Blow your nose. I don't know. Get a neti Pot.
0: The day after. This brutal attack and murder of Aaron, over 1,800 people protest and demand an end to gay bashings by marching down Davy Street in honor of Aaron. Yes. Yeah. Imagine that. Yes. 2,000 people marched down Davy Street being like, enough.
1: I am going to look that up, actually, because it probably looks really powerful and amazing. Yeah. And Vancouver is such a beautiful city that I think it would just look really cool.
0: Yeah. So... It took police more than a year to arrest the first suspect in Aaron's death and put together a timeline of how he was found dead by the side of his car naked in a parking lot.
1: Wow, a year? Okay.
0: Yeah, I think before I said, like, because the witnesses said they saw a shirtless man, I don't know if I actually said it before, but he was completely naked. He was only wearing shoes when he was found.
1: Oh yeah, you did say shirtless when before he was hit. Yeah, because that. So like, did they take his pants or something at that point, oh, no. or he just didn't have anything on even then?
0: Yeah, so we'll we'll get there, but I guess just okay. for purposes of like in your head how you're picturing everything, he was completely naked. Okay. Roger that. Yeah. So, um, pathologist Dr. Gray conducted the autopsy on November nineteenth, two thousand and one. Uh, Aaron sustained 14 separate injuries. The injuries were said to oh, be... I know. It gets so much worse. I can't even describe how much worse this case gets.
1: I bet you're going to, though. I am,
0: but it's so much. Okay. okay. Um, so the injuries were said to be the result of a beating with rounded, linear objects, one being thicker than the other. Aaron Crowbar worse well like a crowbar is as worse as it gets but like more callous i guess um aaron had bruising and injuries Tired. to his legs his buttocks his mid back right chest bottom of his rib cage left forearm internal bruising on his back which was not in, uh, even visible externally his right yeah. jaw bone was broken and there was bruising to the jaw extending into his neck Aaron's cause of death was noted as a torn artery in his neck, which is often quickly fatal.
1: Oh my God.
0: The artery was not directly in the path of a blow by the weapon, but the tearing of it was a result of a sudden tilting rotational movement of Aaron's head and neck, which was imparted by the blow. So basically his. So like when
1: he went to like turn and cover his head, In a weird way, he could have even done it unknowingly.
0: Or they hit him on the head so hard that his head and neck were thrust to the side. Like whiplash? So hard that it tore an artery in his neck and killed him immediately.
1: I thought it would have almost been more from like, if he's down, Oh God, I hate even explaining it this way, but if like, you know, you're down on the ground trying to protect yourself, you're kind of getting jarred. The movements are very abrupt and kind of aggressive and it's like that's kind of where my mind went is that maybe that that injury happened quite early and throughout the rest of the attack i could definitely see like you said maybe he got punched or hit and his head whipped around or it could have just been from all the jostling like that's you're defending yourself so much
0: it sounds absolutely disgusting and brutal. And it's just horrendous. disgusting in, like, the terms of, like, there's literally no human decency. Not disgusting. Oh, no. It's disgusting of, like, that blood.
1: there's humans that exist yeah.
0: that would do something like this. That is what's disgusting. Yeah. No. That's, that's the gross that's, part. That's cool. Yeah. So, the investigation into this was extensive. Um, we can say a lot of shit about police dropping the ball a lot of the time, and this is not one of those times. Police believed this to be a gay bashing immediately. Good. And they called it as such. On February 5th, 2003, which was over a year after Aaron's death, Detective Rob Feoro? Feoro was quoted in a press conference saying, There is no doubt in my mind that I have the right person. At the time, Feoro said he did not have enough evidence for an arrest. Um twenty-one thousand eight hundred and fifty dollar reward was offered for information leading to the arrest. Um and it's such a random number. It's like
1: after administrative fees, that's what's left. No,
0: it's such a random number, and I looked into it, and it's because it was actually raised by members of the LGBTQ community and the Vancouver oh. Police Department. So they raised money. So it was
1: random amounts accumulated up to it was okay. like that makes a 2001
0: sense, version of a GoFundMe.
1: Okay, so we've had the 2001 version of Tinder, the 2001 version of GoFundMe. I'm going to say this was a pivotal year.
0: I would like to say that as much as we joke about, like, cruising being the 2001 version of Tinder, I would say that online dating is a little bit safer. Oh, for sure. And we just joke, But you're, like, a lot more... You can be a lot more choosy about who you, like, actually meet up with in person. Online dating can be really, really scary and dangerous. Um.
1: I wonder if there's, like, a sign. Like, if you're walking past someone, is there, like, a hand signal? Or, like, do you wink? Or, like, what if you just approach someone? and, And I'm actually being serious here, though. What if you approach someone who wasn't of that sexual orientation and something like this was to happen? Like, I wonder how that happens or... If it's just because the time of day that this happens at is so late and obscure that it's just known, I'm gonna or. Go
0: with, there is a code that we are just not privy to as straight people that we have no idea about, and they just know. Um, I am confident that uh, it's assumed. I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be a code or something that we just don't know about. I don't think that that they would make a mistake. Especially cuz it's like the area, it's a known trail like you said the time.
1: Yeah, it just seems like I it, also there's...
0: did find I believe it was called like cruisinggays.ca. There was like a forum that you can log into and like chat when you're I'm gonna asking a the
1: professional.
0: Oh, okay. I can't wait for this answer. (laughs) I told you, there's a code. We just don't know about it.
1: We're recording a case that happened in Stanley Park, and there's a lot to do with cruising, and I was trying to figure out if there was, like, a way you understand that someone is also cruising. (laughs) Oh, there's a specific part like very specific part that you go to. Well,
0: yeah, I just said that.
1: The way I thought it was you went to like a general area no, like and you just kind of like trail. walked around.
0: No, it's like a very specific trail. You should cut a lot of this out because we're going to sound really stupid. Like I already said it was Rawlings Trail.
1: I thought okay, yeah, I thought it was the entire trail though, like you walk up uh. and down the trail. That was my understanding. That's why. So no, it's actually not that stupid. I thought it was like you walked up and down the trail. That's why I was like, when you pass someone, how would you know? I didn't realize it was one small like point in the trail that everyone went to. Um, So I think it might be a little bit more narrowed down. But he said, yeah, totally. They totally do. Still a thing. Love it.
0: I love that. Okay,
1: cool. Just said we're recording right now. And he goes, hi. (laughs) No one can hear you. (laughs) I love him. He's like, I just wanted to make a shout out, Jesus.
0: Oh, you made one. Shout out has been made.
1: <laughs> He's just like going and going and going. He's on his own tangent. Okay,
0: we need to get back to the regularly scheduled <laughs> yeah. programming. And I have something really interesting to tell you. I just want you to be paying attention. We just finished talking about the reward. Is that where we were? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because it's an unusual amount. Right. Okay. So, remember how I said that it was taking so long and the detective knew who it was, but basically said he didn't have enough evidence for an arrest?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. So, getting evidence in this case proved to be really difficult. And there was actually, the reason for this was there was a backlog at the local DNA lab caused by the mass of evidence in the Picton case as he was arrested a oh. year prior in 2002. So they had. Of course, that no, guy's making a backlog. They had no fucking resources to <sighs> test any stain. DNA because they're testing Robert Picton's fucking 48.
1: Oh, that all his evidence probably smelled so bad. Mm hmm.
0: But. Um, he smelled
1: so bad, apparently.
0: While they're waiting to test evidence because of Robert Picton, the police initially believed that there was four male offenders based on eyewitness testimony and they believed that he was beaten with a baseball bat or a pool cue and that's kind of when i said like a crowbar but more callous i just feel like a pool cue
1: you were an avid pool player you could have had your own pool cue in your trunk same with a baseball
0: bat i guess that's not that crazy these shit stains didn't have their own pool cue okay they stole it from a local pool place We'll get there, but yeah, it wasn't even theirs. They, they they took it. So February 12th, 2003, which is more than a year after Aaron died, police make their first arrest. A 19-year-old who was 17 years old at the time of the attacks, so their identity oh is protected under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, Um, he's arrested and court records refer to him as J.S. So we'll just refer to him as that. He's a minor, yeah,
1: fair. I thought you were going to say he was 19 when this happened. When you said he was actually 17 at the time. Oh, my stomach just went to like a knot.
0: I know. 17 years old. So the police go to the home of JS on this day, on February 12, 2003, to interview him regarding his involvement. Um, police had acted on a number of tips they had received. And one such tip was that JS had actually told someone that him, and another male beat Aaron Webster up in Stanley Park, but they didn't mean to kill him. So, yeah. Okay. J.S.'s name comes up more than once during the continuing investigation over the course of, like, a year, because they have a tip line, so they're receiving all these To be honest, 17-year-old boys, they can't keep their mouth shut. JS is brought to the police station for an initial interview, and he originally denies any involvement in the murder. He's like, Oh, I can't. I'm so upset thinking I could be accused of something so horrible. The detective does a pretty sneaky move where we see them do this all the time. He put photos of the park and the attack on the table. In front of him, and then said he had to leave the room for a minute, but he would come back. So he's basically Head forcing eyes. him to sit there, and st- it's basically like you can sit and think about what you did. Yeah, he's in a timeout. It's it's literally go
1: stand in the corner.
0: Yeah, it's the adult version of a fucking timeout. You think like,
1: about what you here's did.
0: the evidence of what you did. You can think about it. It works because you know, seventeen year old. It did.
1: typically does. Guilt is a real. yeah
0: unless the person's a fucking sociopath this typically does work he eventually advised the detective that he wanted to quote come clean and he provided a timeline of events of what happened in stanley park in the early morning hours of november 17th 2001 okay are you ready and buckle up y'all i'm gonna have a sip of my by the way uh i'm drinking something called a vizzy okay J.S. tells detectives that him and four other males were drinking together. They decided to go to Stanley Park and J.S. describes himself as being quite drunk. He says that they parked in the third beach parking lot and walked down to second beach where the group of men hid in the bushes with baseball bats and golf clubs.
1: I mean, this wasn't just a spur of the moment thing.
0: No. There was some planning involved. They definitely went there with the intention of... Yeah. Um, but what they say- Finding
1: someone to beat up.
0: Well, yeah, and we'll get there. But what they use is they say that they were looking for, quote, peeping Toms. And they describe a peeping Tom as being someone who hides in the bushes and watches people hook up or watches in car windows while people hook up. And he said that he had done that with this group of guys, like, at least three times before. And he said that peeping Toms are fun because they, quote, fight back. Okay,
1: I mean, I don't believe that for a second, but okay.
0: You live in Vancouver. Katie and I both grew up in the smallest towns that had absolutely nothing to do. And we weren't doing this shit.
1: We still didn't get in this shit. And nor
0: did, like, most people. There's definitely always the group of people that, like, just hangs around town late at night wreaking havoc, but, like, you know what I mean? I just feel like we grew up, like, you live in a place where there's lots to do. Go do something else. Anyway, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Get um, a hobby. Anyway, I get a little heated there. Um,
1: Download the damn Babbel app. Learn a new language. I don't know. Keep yourself busy.
0: Yeah, so they're hiding in the bushes, and they see Aaron Webster naked walking down the trail wearing only his shoes and smoking a cigarette. The men burst out of the bushes, and I'm pretty sure one of them yelled, like, get him, or there he is, or something. Why would he have just been naked? Maybe he was just hooking up and his clothes were in his car or something. It's, like, pitch black 3 o'clock in the morning and this is what you're there for. Yeah, but you wouldn't,
1: like... Yeah, but would you park your car and, like, get out and, like, fold your clothes up and, like, put them back in the car and then stroll down the trail? No, you'd probably walk down the trail clothed.
0: (laughs) Heck, I don't know. Maybe he had a bad hookup and the guy stole his clothes. Like, I I don't know. Okay. Either way, being naked doesn't warrant murder.
1: No, I just don't think that it's as simple as that. I think he might have been clothed and these guys, like, attacked him and that was part of it.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Maybe. I,
1: I think he was clothed, and I think that they really beat him down, pulled his clothes off. Because you know how, like, when you're in a scuffle with someone, oh, but his shoes were still on. So if, it, if he took pants off, his shoes would probably be
0: Honestly, good. I think he was naked. Like, there's not okay. anywhere that argues that he was naked. It comes up in court. They actually use it. We'll get there. But I think he was naked. And I don't even think it was weird for this area. I, I, I mean, whatever. You're naked. It's fine.
1: Um, I guess as just people who aren't comfortable totally. just being naked it feels weird. But yeah. I get
0: what you mean like it feels odd that he wouldn't yeah. have like had clothes and redressed and then walked to his car but I honestly think this was super normal for like this area and what's going on here. Okay. So the men burst out of the bushes. They start chasing him down the road. JS says he was holding a bat. The others had weapons of some kind as well, a.k.a. golf clubs. There was a pool cue. I know there was a pool cue for sure. Uh, JS says he hit Aaron first or second. He wasn't sure on the back near the shoulder. At that point, Aaron said to the guys, that's enough, guy. They chased Aaron Webster to his car, Aaron fell to the ground after a blow given by one of the other guys, and then now they have him on the ground, the men surrounded him. J.S. struck Aaron a second time on the legs, and then he noted at this time that Aaron was quote, out cold. Three of the men, including J.S., ran and hid in the bushes at this time, while two of the men continued to wail on Aaron while he was unconscious on the ground. J.S. told detectives that he estimated the two other men continued to hit Aaron approximately seven more times each.
1: He's unconscious that I don't understand even when people do get into fights for any reason. I I do not understand hitting someone once
0: they're unconscious. Yeah. They're
1: not fighting back.
0: Yeah, and in the interview. What's the fucking point? I know. I don't get it either. It's like, what? Well, and and he kind of said the same thing. So this kid, I mean, he's 19 years old at the time. I, I, you're still a kid, in my opinion. He said something along the lines in the, I read the court transcript, and it was like, uh, he said he was hiding in the bush watching these guys continue to wail on them, and he was thinking, like, if you don't want to kill him, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you stopping it? 100%. Like, the idea wasn't to come here to kill somebody. Like, why are you still beating the shit out of this guy?
1: I, yeah, I just, I agree with that guy 100% yeah so like watching that be like if you aren't intending to do serious damage to this person why are you still hitting them
0: yeah he's not he's clearly not fighting back like you said that it was like fun or the responding at Tom's fight back or whatever like he's not fighting back like let it go um i don't know it's it's a mentality that i like can't put myself in i've never been in a fight and i can't even like imagine throwing a punch over like anger if I'm being honest. I watched a
1: lot in middle school,
0: <laughs> yeah, like I've boxed and stuff for like fitness, but can't ever imagine throwing a fight like a fist because I was mad at someone. It's just so it's a mentality I can't put myself in.
1: I could imagine it. Would I ever do it? No.
0: I can't even imagine. It.
1: Violence is never the option, but can I imagine it? Oh, probably imagined it more than once.
0: <laughs> Look out for Katie's fists, everyone. <laughs>
1: Like oh, I guess I'll never do it. I don't believe that violence is the answer. Truth.
0: So, yeah, at this point, um, this is when kind of the police are like, well, what were you guys even doing in the park? And that's when he said yeah. they, were, they were looking for peeping toms. Um, Bullshit. So, JS is charged with manslaughter on March 5th, 2003. J.S. had given the names of the other men involved and a detailed description of the attack and the police were confident at this point that they would be able to arrest the rest of the men involved in the murder of Aaron. On July 30th, 2003, J.S. pleads guilty to manslaughter and the murder of Aaron Webster. Prosecutor Sandra Dworkin abandoned an application to have him tried in adult court when the plea was presented. So basically his defense team said we're going to plead guilty to manslaughter and the prosecutor dropped the application to have him tried as an adult because under the YCJA you can actually like the prosecuting can yeah. choose to move the case forward in an adult court but it has to be has to be made before you go through with like you can't make that choice at sentencing oh well yeah <laughs> yeah it has to be you can't
1: be like, okay, he's guilty, so now let's figure out what the charge is. You like, have that's to decide
0: at the beginning, like, do you want to do it or not? Try and then him. because he pled guilty, there's not going to be a trial, basically. So she dropped it. Yeah. Right? It goes straight to sentencing. Exactly. Yeah. I think the words that I was trying to say were you have to decide before trial, but I couldn't get there. Fair. That makes sense. <laughs> it's a friggin' long ass couple days. Prosecutor Sandra Dworkin also stated that she didn't feel there was enough evidence to prove the killing was gay bashing and chose not to request hate crime charges. The prosecutor, I guess, was worried that if she didn't have enough to prove the hate crime charges, the entire case could get dropped, which doesn't really make sense to me because I thought hate crime charges were only meant to, like, increase the severity of the original charge. So I don't know if maybe that research was just incorrect or if she just feel like, felt like there wasn't enough evidence, but either way, she chose not to. Um, And she asked for a 20 to 32-month sentence.
1: That's it?
0: The maximum you can get for manslaughter as a youth under the Youth Criminal Justice Act is oh, three yeah. years. Oh, God. Yeah. So... I'm just going to finish up with JS's trial before we move on to the other guys. Um, Cause it, it it didn't happen. Like it kind of was all overlapping, but this one was kind of one and done first. So okay. at a sentencing hearing later, JS did end up receiving the maximum sentence under the YCJA for manslaughter, which was three years. The youth court judge, Valmond Romilly ruled the attack was motivated by hatred called it a gay bashing, and designated it a hate crime. He yes. sentences JS to three years, um, which, like I said, is the max. JS spent uh, two-thirds of his sentence, or two years, in a youth correctional facility, and he spent the last year at home under supervision and strict conditions which was noted Uh in the sentencing court documents as a suggestion. So it was in there at sentencing that he should get three years, two of them to be spent in a facility, and one to be spent at home in the community and under strict uh, supervision.
1: I thought you were going to say for the last year he went to an all-adult facility, which I thought would have been good.
0: No, he went home. Yeah. So uh, upon his release from the correctional facility, court records indicate that JS had spent the full period of two years in closed custody without incident and successfully completed all the programs available to him in custody including those that contribute to his proper rehabilitation and reintegration into the community
1: okay
0: so we're kind of done i mean he's young he's young and he came forward um i don't think he had a prior at all like any prior criminal record he was kind of the one that outed everybody and, you know, gave the story. Everybody else was lying. And so So he was the one that probably
1: all along was just going along with like the group mentality and then got in too deep. Maybe. There he's a maybe he's someone that's really responsible and has a good conscience.
0: I don't know. He had been involved in it a few times before and what they were doing and I, I don't know oh. but that that's kind of the end of okay. his saga. Um but we still have okay. three other shit stains to deal with so
1: it's always another shit stain out there. Oh, there's so many. October 9th,
0: 2003, Danny Rayo, Ryan Cran, and another accused who is also a youth at the time and is referred to only as AC are arrested and charged with manslaughter in connection to Aaron's death. Hmm. Okay. So they're not even arrested until after the other trial is finished. Weird. Yeah.
1: You'd think they would have been taken into custody and some of their interviews might have been used to support other evidence. Like, you'd think this would have been all in conjunction.
0: No, I think JS was more cooperative and the other three were not budging. So,
1: he's the whistleblower. You kind of got to go all in or nothing.
0: Yeah. Ryan Cran was granted bail on October 15th, 2003, but was soon returned to custody because his family was not able to raise the funds to post bond. Danny, oh. <laughs> I mean, you can stay in jail. Like, right? not that I want him
1: out, but that's a really sad reason why. Fair. <laughs> but so common.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Danny Rayo remained in custody and on October 29th 2003, AC was released on a promise to appear. It's okay. pretty rare that a youth would be held in detention until their hearing under the YCJA, unless they have, like, a ton of priors and are, like, a serious offender and super super or a flight anxiety. risk yeah like a flight risk don't There's, have a home there has to be a pretty severe reason yeah. but for the most part a youth will end up not being held December 2003 um both Danny Rayo and Ryan Cran were released on bail to spend their time awaiting trials in the community so youth AC pleads guilty to manslaughter in the death of Aaron Webster on January 22nd 2004 The sentencing Mm -hmm. trial begins on March 31st, 2004, and the judgment date on the court document is April 21st, 2004. Crown prosecutor in this case is Greg Weber, and he, yeah, Weber. I was trying to think if it was Weber or Weber. It's 1B, but it's definitely Weber. 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 He asked for the maximum sentence, but he did not describe the killing as a hate crime. Honorable Judge J. Weirier sentenced A.C. to the same maximum sentence of three years with two in custody and one in the community under conditional supervision. This sentence is in accordance with Section 105 of the Youth Criminal Justice Act, um, but unlike J.S., or the first youth who we talked about, who was sentenced yeah. by Judge Romley, who, who did rule the attack a hate crime when he sentenced him, judged weirier did not designate the killing a hate crime at sentencing it
1: sucks they weren't a more united front on that but okay
0: yeah so she did note in her ruling on ac that the accused committed the attack against Aaron while on probation for possession of stolen property and operating a stolen vehicle ac had records with ycja as early as 15 years old and the sentence was given the added status of a serious violent offense I couldn't find the serious violent offense status given to JS during sentencing. So this was something that was specifically given to AC. It's just an example about how you like the different outcomes that you can get in the legal system, depending on what judges presiding over the case.
1: 100%. We're still
0: human yeah. beings and we still interpret things like the law yeah. differently and make our own like rational conclusions as to what, the best next steps are and we don't always make them the same and that goes for judges
1: well they also have different defense mm-hmm. as well and prosecution so. so that what's information is laid out yeah might have been laid out slightly differently so the perception of what happened could have been different too so that's also the other challenge of not trying them together or at least yes in the same way at the same
0: time well and like as you said like it's you just wish there had been a bit of more of a a united front on that because like m- like mentally they could have had that going in, but like legally, because they're tried separately, they can't actually use like his sentencing or his case in this trial. Yeah,
1: they're they're looked at as completely individual yeah. because of unfortunately the different sentencing and different, completely different trials they had. But yeah, they're not looked at as the case against this one victim they're looked at as this person's case this person's case and this person's case which is frustrating
0: they're they're looked at as this person versus the crown or this person versus the crown it's not look yeah it's exactly what you said it's not looked at as like against against the defendant or like the one victim, individual
1: who suffered at the hands yeah yep no i oh i agree yeah
0: so I know there's okay. There's so much occurring. So while this is all happening, this is all occurring. Yes. it's all happening. The preliminary hearing into the adult trial begins on April thirteenth, two thousand and four. I can't keep up okay. either. Don't worry. Um, That's a lot. It's so much. I had about eight different court transcripts open at the same time while I was writing this, and I was trying to keep timelines and judges and prosecutors and charges and sentences. and oh my gosh ah! Um
1: well, you're doing it.
0: Oh boy. So the prosecutor in the adult trial is once again Greg Weber. So Weebs. same okay. prosecutor is in AC's trial of the second youth. Um, the judge presiding over this case is Justice Madam Humphreys. And both of the adults, Ryan Cran and Danny Rayo, plead not guilty. They're tried together.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're tried together. Yeah. So save some time and money.
0: Yeah, and kind of like we talked about before, now they can try them together on the same, like, the same injustice to the same person.
1: Yeah, there's continuity between the information that's used to sentence both of them.
0: They're gonna be tried as one crime, because that's what it is, one crime. In JS's original statement to police, remember when he was first interviewed back in 2003, he... Had said that he had been with AC, Ryan Cran, Danny Rayo, and Danny Rayo's brother, Daniel. However, Daniel Rayo is never arrested or charged with anything in relation to this crime. So I assume he either wasn't actually there or they just don't have anything on him to arrest him or he was like in Stanley Park, but not with them. I don't know, but he doesn't come up at all, except for that one statement that he was there. Okay. Okay. From what I can gather in court transcripts, the police had evidence that Ryan Cran had basically confessed the crime to more than one person who was willing to testify against him. Loose lips,
1: think ships, people.
0: Correct. This, and that statement could not be truer in this case. He confessed the crime to like one person at a, the pool hall he frequented. This is kind of where the pool
1: get a few drinks comes in. Spilled
0: the, so spill the beans. He liked to play pool at this one place, and he was like a you know he frequented the place. And he said to one of the employees, um, the employee's name was Lance. He said, "We lynched a guy, Lance. We lynched a guy. We beat this guy up, and mentioned that they had been in Stanley Park, and then." another employee at the same pool hall asked about the incident because i guess like ryan had been talking about stanley park and just kind of like stopped talking about it i'm Um, sure
1: they overheard bits and pieces and were like wait something happened in stanley park this weekend so it could have even just been like did you know about blah, blah blah blah
0: exactly yeah so he goes okay was that you and ryan got like a stupid smirk on his face and said yeah that was us
1: Ew, don't look proud of something like that. Ugh, right. Disgusting. hmm
0: So, Ryan had also mentioned to one of the pool hall employees not to say anything if the police came asking about a broken pool cue. To which they were yeah, like... Yeah, because I'm
1: going to lie for you, you piece of shit.
0: Well, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, why would that even be a thing? Because at this point, they don't actually know what he's talking about. He's just kind of like talking at his ass.
1: He's, like, proactively trying to cover his ass. Yeah,
0: but the reason that he said that is because um, the police found a broken pool cue near the scene, like, shortly after this happened. Gross. Yeah. Ryan also owned the blue Jeep TJ that was spotted in the parking lot, and it was found with instruments inside it that were used as weapons. So it had, like, the bats and everything else inside of it. Basically, they had a fucking ton of physical plus really good supporting circumstantial evidence on Ryan and people that were willing to testify against him. He was essentially a sinking ship. Yes. You're done, bro. Guys,
1: when you're a piece of shit, it's not hard to find people to testify against you.
0: Yeah, so, but for Danny, all they had on Danny was JS and AC's testimony that he was there.
1: Okay. So they had his word against yours. Absolutely yeah, not...
0: nothing else on him to time to the crime. He had said nothing. He had not been acting like a fool. To be honest, I mean he he might have been there. The two younger guys said he was there, but there's literally no evidence that he's there and that's what you
1: need. I feel like maybe they were just like he was there with them throughout the night, maybe not there at the time kind of thing. Yeah, I I mean that's again it's he said she said.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying he wasn't, I'm just saying in a court of law that doesn't fly. And so it was all super circumstantial and under cross exam too, like holes were poked in the story that provided reasonable doubt that Danny was even at the scene. December tenth, two thousand four, Justice Humphreys ruled that evidence presented at trial proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Ryan Cran was present at the scene on November 17th, 2001, and participated in it as a principal offender. She noted in her ruling that there was not evidence to suggest that Ryan Cran, Cran actually delivered the fatal blow, which is why she uh, presented a guilty charge of manslaughter and not murder. So to quote her, those factors do not save Mr. Cran from being guilty of manslaughter. They may have saved him from a conviction of murder, Had that been the charge, but he actively participated in an assault that was inherently dangerous and a reasonable person would have appreciated that bodily harm was its foreseeable consequence. That is the required intent for manslaughter. Yeah. This is kind of where I get mad though. Ryan Cran is allowed to remain out on bail until sentencing. What the fuck? I mean, he wasn't
1: a dangerous offender and it's manslaughter you've been found guilty i know but it's manslaughter
0: i feel like the second you're found guilty you should be put in jail until you appeal the decision
1: oh 100 percent. if the outcome of what you're found guilty of is guaranteed jail time you should never be allowed to from trial to sentencing i don't think you should be allowed out
0: it's just i agree it's so like such a fucking slap in the face to aaron this guy and all of them were allowed to walk around until their trial and now we're saying like yeah you killed him but like you can go in and hang but we'll deal
1: with you in a bit like we're busy right now
0: i don't know i just that part has really got me um with respect to danny rail justice Humphreys found that the crown was unable to (laughs) prove unable to prove
1: prove beyond a reasonable doubt
0: yeah that he was even at the scene when the crime occurred.
1: Well, yeah, I agree. I don't think that there's...
0: There it it no would evidence. just be
1: taking someone's word on it at this point. It Yeah, you can't
0: do that. Yeah, so he was acquitted of all charges. I
1: mean, I think that's probably fair based on what you have told me today. Yep. Unless something comes out at a later date.
0: I just had, like, heard this story once before. I didn't know a ton about it, but I remember hearing, like... When I first started researching sentencing, I guess is more when this happened. And before I got into actually finding the court documents that people were like, oh, we're not really sure why he was acquitted. It's like I just wanted to make sure everyone was very clear that the reason that he was acquitted is because the Crown was unable to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was a principal aider or a better in this crime.
1: Well, yeah, and it's important to mention that like other people got charged in this who just there were circumstances that were able to prove that they physically were there regardless of their involvement. So to say that they were confident they didn't have that, I feel pretty good agreeing and believing that they mean it because like you said, they took this case pretty seriously right away.
0: So, we're almost at the end. I know it's been a long haul. Thank you everyone for sticking with us. We're just going to kind of finish up Ryan Cran's sentencing and then just like the end, I guess. Post-sentencing, if you will. January 27th, 2005 is the beginning of Ryan's sentencing hearing. The Crown prosecutor, once again, is Greg Weber, who declines to characterize the beating as a hate crime or a gay bashing And does not ask the judge to consider this in sentencing. So the courtroom absolutely erupts with protesters who are hoping for a hate crime designation for this offense. But Greg Weber was the same prosecutor in the second youth ACs case and didn't ask for a hate crime designation and. At a hearing as well, he told Justice Humphreys that Webster was targeted because he was naked but that there was no evidence he was killed due to his sexual orientation.
1: Bullshit. It's Right. you and- find a, a guy naked in a park in a place that is notoriously known for gay men to involve in sexual activity, you're gonna probably go on the assumption as this group of shithead teens... That, oh, look, that guy just got fucked or just hooked up with someone and they're going to just pick him out of the group to target. Mm -hmm. They were just looking for someone to fuck with. I don't agree with that at all. I think that should have been a hate crime.
0: I I agree. I guess my point is that when you already went so hard, like when you already said no, no, it's not a hate crime. And then you pull this out of your ass of like oh no he was targeted because he was naked it's not shocking that he didn't designate this one a hate crime either you kind of have to keep your story straight in a court of law
1: and I guess, like we just said, he kept it consistent. He didn't.
0: Yeah, it's just not shocking. I don't, I I'm, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying.
1: I think it opens up a lot more room for other appeals too if he treats them differently. Absolutely. Because you can state
0: each case
1: yes. and say, well, how come in this trial or in the trial of this man? blah 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 blah. Yeah. So I I don't I don't agree with it, but Fair. I understand why he did it.
0: Yes. yes. Or like Fair. I don't even. Like, I think he should have said the first one was a hate crime. Like, it's not even, like, I, like, understand his point of view. I just, I just understand the logic behind, like, not changing your story as a prosecutor one case to the next. If it's the same crime, like, you're... Yeah, it's hard to then go back
1: and say, like, well, how are these two people who are at the same crime doing the same activity? How do they have different details to their case? so drastically it just wouldn't really be i don't think we'd run into that unless it was the case of someone like a bystander and there's proof that they weren't physically involved Mm -hmm. i could see that but yeah no not in this circumstance yeah i don't know
0: i guess just because he made the same ruling the first time i was just like well it's not entirely shocking i'm not saying it's right and i get why people were mad it's just like going into that you already know he said no the first time Mm mm-hmm so, Weber asked the judge to sentence Cran to six to nine years in jail for the offense, while Cran's defense asked for two to four years based on his age and lack of criminal history. On February 8, 2005, Justice Humphreys designates a sentence of for Cran of six years and does not designate the offense a hate crime. She writes in her decision that she didn't hear any evidence at trial to prove that Cran deliberately targeted a gay man. Post-sentencing, so... As far as we know from before, JS was released to spend the last year of his sentence at home in December of 2005. AC yeah. was released to spend the last year of his sentence at home in April of 2006. Ryan Cran's defense okay. team appealed his conviction sometime after sentencing, but the appeal was denied on October 17th, 2006, unanimously by all three appeal judges. uh, There has to be proof that an error was made by a trial judge or that something occurred that would have made your trial unfair and basically all three of the the appeal judges were like there was no grounds to conclude that there was any error made in the trial judge's ruling. None.
1: It's also really difficult to, I think, appeal it when another party was a witness and gave a full story and pled guilty. Yeah. It's very hard for the other people to be like, well, but I, no, I didn't do that. And it's like, but now with that story, we can, that you did yeah. so
0: you don't get a new trial just because you want up. a new trial you get a new trial because there's actually grounds to conclude that the judge made an error yeah. that you didn't get a fair trial and so you deserve one like did
1: your defense not you take know care of saying? you You'd be
0: like oh i don't like what that judge decided i want a new
1: trial. i know it's like when you flip a coin and then you're like
0: yeah. oh, i don't like what that did i'm just gonna flip it again that's how it works it works bro the decision's but a decision you're messing with the universe's energy when you do that by the way Um, Mm -hmm. so, so on February 6th, 2009, Ryan Cran is released on statutory parole after serving two thirds of his sentence. He served a total of four years behind bars for Aaron's murder and parole board documents show Ryan Cran was, quote, involuntarily transferred to higher security while incarcerated for alcohol use. He is instructed to abstain uh, from alcohol, avoid people he suspects may be, quote, involved in criminal activity, and get counseling until his sentence ends February 7th, 2011.
1: Um, which, I mean, are pretty standard. Like, no drugs and alcohol, blah, blah, blah. Like, those are pretty standard requirements.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have feelings about getting released. Me I too. understand like, what statutory release is. I just have, like, feelings about it when you have been, like, transferred to higher security for being a shithead, you know? Yep. Yeah, Yeah, so, I don't know. Everybody might not know what statutory release is. In Canada, statutory release is basically federal inmates are entitled to serve the last one-third of their sentence out of prison if they haven't already received full parole. So it's not the same as parole. Statutory release is automatic... And it almost always occurs in Canada for people at two thirds of their sentence, but they'll get released, and then the last third is like similar to kind of the use that we're like serving the last third of the sentence at home under supervision. It's the same yeah, like thing. You're kind of like yeah. just like serving the last third of your sentence in the community. It's not like parole, which is discretionary. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That's about it. I know like, Corrections Canada can technically refer an offender that is coming up for statutory release to the parole board if they think that they pose, like, a high risk. But I don't know. Yeah, my mom used to do that. Oh, okay. I don't know. Like, I think the offense has to be pretty serious. But, like, in this case, the offense was death against another person. So is that serious? I don't know.
1: And, again, Canada's a lot about rehabilitation, and I can even say, like, for the most part, Not like she had a soft spot for her clients, but at the same time, I think you have to remember that it is like a parole officer's job too to to see this person as a human and try to figure out a long-term plan for them to help
0: them. Yeah, and so that and so for that last one third, like you said, like they're reporting to somebody they have condition um it's not just like have a nice time
1: mm-hmm. yeah they're not like see you in a year when yeah. you graduate from jail
0: yeah pretty much just to kind of end it on a note about Aaron after Aaron passed away the city view housing co-op of which Aaron was the president the name was changed to the Aaron Webster Housing Co-op and the Aaron Webster Memorial Fund was launched by cooperative housing federation of bc to support projects started by people aged 13 to 20 who live in housing co-ops um well, that's, yeah just like a nice note to end it about aaron and not about the four shit stains preach but that is the murder of aaron webster with a few historical facts thrown in courtesy of all of
1: them. yeah it's just because you
0: wanted to ruin
1: stanley park
0: for No, i have no desire to go there
1: no i think you did a great job oh thank you i'm still gonna take you there <laughs> Thank you for coming. Follow us at Podcast by Proxy.
0: Yes. I think we're good. I think that's it. I mean, like, Instagram is the main. Follow us at Podcast by Proxy on Instagram. That's where we're the most active.
1: I could really use some case suggestions if you want to help me
0: out, guys. Katie would love it. My list is dwindling. I don't need case suggestions. I have about 18 that I'm in the middle of writing, so please send zero to me. Okay, well, I love you. Yeah. Love you. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. (gasps) Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. (laughs) Okay.